Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelico. It is May 24th, 2020. Tonight's episode is episode 71, and we are covering the top five romance films, uh, which is kind of, is ironic the right word for it, Frank? Um, in a time of social distancing, we're talking about <laughs> romance. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like hopeful. Okay. I'd prefer to look at it that way than ironic. Right. You know how I feel about hope right now, Frank. Right. <clears throat> um, hopeful for a year out, maybe. Oh, okay. Put, like love in the time of cholera or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who who wrote that book? Uh, is that um Marquez? Or no, Bernal, right? Isn't that his name? I can't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. It's you like all, Gil... You were all about that guy, right? Weren't you? Like whoever wrote no. that? Uh-uh. No. Maybe I'm thinking not... of a different movie. What other what other book has cholera in the title? I don't know. Uh, okay, whatever. Um Okay, so this do you remember the history of this? It feels like first of all that I've been we've been talking about this episode for um three months. Right. Um it's only been I think a month, but still. And do you remember how this like all started? Uh, no. Huh. So there was one of the podcasts uh, in January. Somehow, uh, Dog Day Afternoon came up. Oh, right. And you were, <laughs> I said, well, what what list does that ever make? And you said the top five romance films. And uh, and we were like, oh, okay, we should do that at some point. And then when we had to throw something out because of COVID. Uh, we threw in the top five romance films and Dog Day Afternoon is not on this list. <laughs> right. So Dog Day <laughs> Dog Day Afternoon um, still um, still the uh, what, Redheaded Stepchild or something yeah, like that? Yeah, still not represented by any right. uh, list. Yeah. Right. So what list does it make now? I don't know. What the list doesn't make now? I don't know. And that was you that said the top five romances. Yeah, but then I started thinking about it and I was like, I really don't want to talk about that. I don't know. Yeah. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I'll make a list someday because I I like that movie a lot. So. Right. Okay. Um. So top five. This is a big category right here. It's a big category. This is is. easily easily one that could probably at some day, um, some year, I should say, like have a, like another top five. Um, if we want to do that, but. I do want to run across a couple movies that are pretty notable romances through the years and just get brief reactions from you. Um, well, at first, I guess I should ask you, like, what, did some, did some things come close to making this list? And Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, th- so a couple things we've already talked about could have been on this list. Like, I thought about Midnight Cowboy because I think that's a really good example, um, especially from, like, a modern perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about Sid and Nancy, um, which is another one that we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like I wanted to put the Lady Eve on there because I think the Lady Eve is, um, what's his name's uh, best romance, um, Preston Sturgis. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like you know, I mean, we talked about that. So I really just kind of went by like what are the things that I 
like what was my gut reaction answer to it i suppose right um so this is a lot of like when i thought of it like what are the five movies that just come to mind almost immediately um and one of these movies one of my favorite movies of all time so okay that was pretty much a no-brainer and it felt like a good list to put it on all right so let me go through a few movies here so number one is uh titanic um i mean you know how i feel about titanic i think so just for full disclosure i suppose i think that titanic is an amazing technical feat and a really trite contrived romance like i think that it's trickery that gets you to care about those characters because i don't think there's i don't really feel like there's any real i don't know like investment in them i think you're just kind of tricked into it by like the situations they're put in okay uh the notebook i like the notebook a lot but yeah the notebook is one of those weird ones right i i think the notebook is a really really good movie and i think it's really effective i think it's some really great performances too like i think the gosling and mcadams are really good in it um who plays gina rollins and uh who's the guy that plays the older versions of them Gina Rollins and oh Jesus, I have no idea. Fuck, I can't remember. Anyway, one of those old men, one of the grumpy old men, or whatever. Sixteen years. Um, but I really like uh, I really like that movie. Yeah, I'm trying to go back now. Just uh, time here, Amelie. I'm not. I've only seen Amelie once, so maybe I don't give Amelie like a super fair shake. But I'm mm-hmm. not the biggest fan of Amelie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's mostly because I saw it like a bad place in my life. So I probably should watch Amelie again. Roman holiday. Um, I'm always hesitant to put any Audrey Hepburn on the list because I just like her too much. Right. I guess. Um, so I don't know. Are you trying to like, what, fight against like an Audrey Hepburn bias? Is that, is that? I think that do? maybe I think maybe someday I would like to put like do like an all Audrey Hepburn list. Because mm. I think I like enough Audrey Hepburn movies where I could do like a okay. really good top five. I'll add that to the list. Um His Girl Friday. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't even think of that. I don't know. I've only seen that movie once, and it was a million years ago, so <clears throat> it's not a movie that I necessarily think about. Princess Bride. Princess Bride's a really good one. We have, we, we've talked about that, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so I, I, I can't one. remember the episode now, but yeah, we did. Yep. Um, Casablanca. I'm not the biggest fan of Casablanca. I'm not going to lie. Jesus. Like, I think Casablanca is a good movie, but I don't know. Man. And not, not, not that I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I feel like I've been watching Casablanca for my whole life. Mm-hmm. It's like how I feel about um, Apocalypse Now, you know? Like, I completely appreciate it as a movie, but I don't know how much I really ever want to talk about it again. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's probably one of my 
top 10 movies or 15 maybe i don't know i look at Casablanca um, like i look at citizen kane like yeah i think that it's impossible to deny like the social and cultural influence of casablanca and i mm-hmm. think it's impossible to like deny the greatness of it as a film but it's like what else can you say you know like that's like a two-minute conversation i think mm. interesting okay that's all like the ones that like pop up in the um like when you like search like other people's like top tens are the ones I felt were that makes worthy, sense. Of, worthy of asking about. I don't think there's um, anything wrong with any of those movies being on yeah. a list, and I think I would. I mean, I if I had put them on a list, I think I would be okay with it. But the only two I'll ask you for personal reasons um, is Dirty Dancing. I mean, I think Dirty Dancing is a fun movie. I don't know how great of a romance it is. I think it's kind right. of a creepy romance in a lot of ways. <laughs> Okay, oh, I want to talk about dirty dancing someday now. Um, and then Kaho uh, Naho. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah, it is. I don't really have. I don't know. I don't really have a defense against not having it on the list, with the exception that I guess I just didn't think of it. Yeah. I it's, love the um, music in that movie. Though. I know. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I watched um, parts of it. Like I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, because next week's list is was is taking up a lot of my time, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, but yeah, it still held up. It was good. Sherwood Khan's really yeah. good in that. Yeah, I watched it a couple years ago again, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. Okay. You know, yeah. you know what? Every time I see Sherwood Khan, what I think of what is like this is the Indian Ray Romano. <laughs> <clears throat> like that's what he reminds me of. Like he's just yeah. I'm trying to think of yeah. who I think of like. Oh, I'll think of it. I can't. I, there, there's somebody very specific um, that I think of that has like this, like kind of like weird smile that like is a little rictus. I don't know. I'll think of it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't have anything else. Casablanca would definitely be like Casablanca. His Girl Friday are definitely high on my list. Probably Kaho Naho too. Um, Dirty Dancing I love, but that's probably not, doesn't belong on any list, honestly. Okay, yeah, I don't have anything else to go over here before we get into this. Like I said, this is such a big category. Like, what do you think makes romance? I will ask you that. I'll ask you to kind of almost, like, bring some of this together, I guess, a little bit. I think that for a romance movie to be, like, a true romance movie is you have to feel, you have to like feel the chemistry between the principal actors like it has to be believable and i think it has to stay with you and i think like the best romances are the ones that don't necessarily end with the two principals like together mm-hmm. in the movie like they don't necessarily have to have a happy ending for it to be although i mean that can happen and obviously like a couple of these movies that is like the end result but sure i don't know you just have to like you have to like them and you have to believe it mm-hmm. i guess yeah, well, I think that's. I think the idea that chemistry needing to be there is is absolutely key in good romance movies. Um, which actually, okay. Now that I know that, I have a couple of things to ask you though about these other movies. Um, you tend you do you do tend towards like kind of like the sadder, like the bittersweet though, right? In yeah, romances, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or the ones where it's like uncertain, maybe, that you don't know if they got together. Like another one, so you didn't ask about it, but another movie I thought about putting on the list was um, Lost in Translation. I, I, as soon as you said uncertain, I yeah, that's what I thought of. Yep. I don't, but I, I didn't know if I really wanted to talk about that movie too much, and <clears throat> I think it's like a perfect example of a like an undefined romance, kind of, mm-hmm. <clears throat> especially because there's never any, you know like real romantic connection between the two leads aside from what you infer as the watcher. Sure. Um, but still like a, you know, fantastic movie in that. Yeah. In that regard. Yeah. I would classify it as a romance. Um, I mean, it, there's, it's more complex than a lot of movies, but I, I think that's, it's an it emotional is. romance at least. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, technically, it's an emotional affair. I mean, um, is what's happening over the course of those few days. <clears throat> yeah, it's the, uh, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. Number five on your list is I Know Where I'm Going from 1947. It is directed by Emmerich Powell and Michael Pressburger. It stars Wendy Hiller, Roger Lively, Pamela Brown. has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and an 82% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this movie and what it is that you like so much about it? Uh, basic premise is that this middle-aged English woman, Joan, is traveling to Scotland to basically like an arranged marriage with um, the lord of this island. Um, when she gets to, I guess, like the Hebrides, is that how you say it? Hebrides? I don't know. No idea. Um, there's a storm, so she's kind of stuck on, like, the island before, she's stuck in this, whatever, like, this area before she can get her boat to go and, like, meet her betrothed. Um, and she falls in with the guy that ends up being, uh, the actual lord of that island. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's initially, you know, like, some, I don't know what you call it, like, kind of, like, moonlighting-esque, you know, where she doesn't, not... You can tell she's attracted to him, but she doesn't want to admit she's attracted to him. And then, like, the attraction grows, but she's still, you know, determined that because she knows where she's going, like, that's the whole point of the movie, that, you know, she's certain about what her destiny is, that she's determined to still go through with it and move to the other island to marry the other guy. And then there's a possibility of a curse where he thinks that his family's curse, where if he ever gets married, like, it's, like, doom on him. Um, And they end up through circumstance, like, falling in love and basically being like chained together which is the whatever the cryptic like I don't know what you would call it like old ancient curse on his family you know that he's what is it like chained to a woman forever or something like that yes something and like it that, ends yeah. up being like the chains of matrimony and they end up together and right it's a happy ending right so um pretty like I I think one of the more beautiful black and white movies from that time period um, I I really love Pal and Pressburger. Like I like the way they film things. I think they have <clears throat> one of the better eyes for sort of like the I don't even know what you call it, like kind of epic but still like understated British style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Where um like the way they film that the landscape and especially the way they film like the castle and the skies and just the characters themselves, I think it's really, like, gorgeous, that movie. 
Um, I like the fact that she's not necessarily a traditional, like, especially, you know, for, what is it, like, mid-50s mid is the movie? No, nah, 47. Okay, so late 40s. Like, to be, like, a self-assured, independent woman who's making her own decisions in life from that time period is kind of a... She's almost, like, the antithesis of what the romantic lead, female lead, would have been in a movie from that time. Um, and I really like that. Um, and I just, I, I, I like the setting a lot. We've never talked about Pal and Pressburger, and I really wanted to put one of their movies on the list. And it's my favorite romance of theirs. I found this movie by accident, too, at one point. Like, it was when um, Criterion had a sale on movies. Um, and this is, like, whatever, like, uh, over a decade ago. And I got it for free, basically, because it was, like, a buy two, get one free. And I just like chronologically on my list it was there because i didn't really know anything about it um but i found it like really moving and engaging and i was kind of rooting for them to get together throughout the movie and you know ultimately i just think it's a really nice um non non-traditional romance from a couple of guys that i think are some some of like the mid 20th century masters of filmmaking i thought the set design was really good in this movie uh some backhanded compliment no i don't i i don't even mean that in like i i i did i did that for comedic per uh, like i guess purposes but it's like i um i don't even mean it to be backhanded not it's not like a like a you know thumper you know what does your father tell you type thing um uh although it kind of is but I, I thought it was extremely impressive for 1947 like I, i'm not like kidding about the set design like i there's there's stuff where it's like water like because they're on like the coast and stuff and like water is like kind of splashing up and it's like windy like you know with the kind of rainy and it's like it's it's really impressive for black and white how you actually feel the wind and the rain and like it's it's incredibly well done um in in terms of the set design like maybe some of the most impressive stuff i've seen in the 1940s in that regard um i just never bought the, the lead couple I just never felt there was that much chemistry there, like whatsoever. I, I like I just didn't really like. I wasn't invested in their relationship necessarily. So let me ask you this question: Do you think that's more because of him or because of her? I think it is. I think he's wooden. Mm. I think he's wooden, and I think that she doesn't feel she doesn't feel attracted to him and he doesn't, and he feels like he's attracted to himself. That's how, that's how, I, that's how I would describe the, those performances. <clears throat> it's like they're going through the motions um, is what it feels like more than anything. Um, so I like the, I, so to me, I don't know that I, I really like her performance a lot in it. I'm not as big of a fan of his performance. Like I kind of agree that he is sort of wooden. Mm-hmm. Although I think he's just kind of like playing like a playboy lout in an era where maybe he couldn't be as like, I don't know, maybe it's just not in him, whatever, to for to do that role, like the justice that should have like been done. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of like the circumstance, like throwing them together and like finding love through 
No, I I liked all that stuff. Yeah, I think that's fine. Like, I think that's like good. Like it being like almost accidental that they fell in love with each other. Yeah, I think it's more like the leads more than anything for this movie. I think I would have been a lot more into it had it had it been different actors in it. Yeah, I don't know what it is about her. I I, I really like her a lot in it. Yeah, I find her to be um like awkwardly engaging. Maybe hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. You 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 do like awkwardly engaging. Um, yeah. And I really like the fact that, um, again, like I, I love the like the breaking of the stereotype there. That she's not. It's one of the reasons why I like. I agree. so much is yep. that you know she's not the damsel in distress. She's not being rescued. Like she's finding her own way, and even in the end, like she's making her decision. You know, basically to be with him. Right. Like no one's like forcing her to, whatever. Yeah, no, no, I I agree, I I agree with that, and I think the ending's really in, like different. Like, I'm not even, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, I guess qualify it in any way, but I think it's very different, and I I was I was interested in how different it was. Yeah, I also like, I I really like the idea of like the I don't ever want to call it a curse, but like the prophecy or whatever. That's what I meant, yeah, like that ending, like when he goes into the castle, like I thought that was really interesting. So I don't know, I mean, to me it's just like, it's it's so much different than what you would think of as like the the golden era of film or like the, whatever, like the the, hey, the heyday of the studio era, mm-hmm. that it's not like a traditional romance in the sense of like something like bringing a baby or whatever is. Right, right. Although no, that's, I, another, that's another great like romance that could have easily made the list, but. Sure. Yeah, but um, but no, it was it was different. I enjoyed watching it, and I'd I'd like to see some of their other movies. Um, at some point. Yeah, there's um, I'll I'll give you a whole list offline of stuff that you should watch of theirs because okay, Criterion's basically like a huge receptacle of their stuff, and mm-hmm. there's some really great because really they're great like ridiculous. They have like fifty some movies, right? They have a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's like an insane amount of movies. I mean, I've only seen maybe a dozen of their movies, but I like all of them a lot. Yeah, and there's some movies that are just like amazing, like. I don't know their their use of their use of like crane camera. I think like shooting things from distance and angle, and just the way they capture landscape and I don't know, like all that stuff is is amazing to me. I think they're I think they're fantastic. So and I really like this movie a lot. Yeah, and you don't have any criticism because it was a hundred percent. So bonus. Well, I mean, I, I I always take notes, Frank, and um, uh, if I I always go to the audience. Um, if uh, if there's no uh, critics, but um, you know how that goes. A lot of times is that most of the time it's just stupid. Right. <laughs> um, so um, but so yeah, I, I am going to say that there's probably going to be less criticism um that I actually feel is worthy of reading off as we're going through this episode. For that reason, because right. three of your three of your movies have a hundred percent, so uh, so yeah, so might, there might be a little less. Um, okay, so number four on your list is from a little bit earlier than that, nineteen forty-one. It is Preston Sturgis's Sullivan's Travels, stars Joel McRae and Veronica Lake. It has a hundred percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and eighty-nine percent from audiences. Um, this uh, this is a movie that you had me watch a long time ago now, probably 15 years ago. Um, 
so this is the second time I watched it. So you want to tell them a little bit about what this movie is about and um, why you put it on your romance list? Um, so starring uh, Veronica Lake and Joel McRae, uh, both actors that I like a lot. Um, McRae plays John Sullivan, who's a director. Um, he directs basically like vapid, like shallow comedies, um, but he wants to do something greater. So he comes up with the idea that he's going to basically travel as a hobo so he can understand like what struggle is um on his like on his way he ends up because he's trying um, to make a brother he's trying to make a movie called old brother where are brother where art thou right yeah which is really funny right um where the Cohen's get that name from yeah uh so he basically like ends up coming back to los angeles and meets um lake who's a struggling actress who's about to like give up and leave you know like give up on her dream um she buys him breakfast because she thinks he's a hobo um so they get arrested by the police but then they get he returns to her mansion um she doesn't oh she sees how wealthy is and then she's i guess like upset by Full disclosure, I didn't watch this movie again before. Um, so they go out on the road together with her disguise as a man. And he's actually successful in, like, being a hobo. Mm-hmm. Like, eating in soup kitchens. And um, so they find out that he had married a woman, like, for tax breaks, right? Yep. And she's in love with somebody else or his business manager. And I don't know. Anyway, I'm fucking this up. The end result is like, I love the interaction between like, I, I think Veronica Lake is amazing. Um, she's one of my favorite, like, I guess mid era. Like, wait, what year is this? 40, 41, 41, 40, yeah. 41, something like that. 41. And I think the Veronica Lake is one of the most like gorgeous women in my opinion, like ever in film um and i think she does a really good job here is like again the comedic foil that's not like a damsel in distress you know she's self-assured and she's um like a worthy counterpart um mm-hmm. i'm always really like surprised and i don't know maybe it's not that surprising it's always surprising to me when a female character is presented in a way that's not demeaning in movies from this era, like, I always kind of just assume that, like, most women are going to be, like, the lovelorn, I don't know, like, dopey kind of damsel in distress, so, and maybe that's why movies like Sullivan's Travels and really, like, um, Preston Sturgis' movies in general, because he's very uh, pro-woman in his movies, um, maybe that's why they're so, like, enduring, like, why they still hold up today, um, because he's willing to, like, make a female character in a lot of ways, like, you know, most ways stronger than, like, the male character. Right. But yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty funny movie. Like, I don't really like many comedies, but I think it works pretty well as a comedy. Um, I like Joel McRae a lot, and again, like, I really love Veronica Lake, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I really wish I would have watched it again recently. It's probably been about seven or eight years since I watched this movie. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I watched it, whatever, 
a few weeks ago. And then, um, like I said, you had had me watch it when it came on a criterion, I guess, probably. <clears throat> um, yeah. During this like is, your orders heyday. Yeah. This was like 2003 or four criteria. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's about right. So yeah, it's been 16 years, maybe. It also has one of the greatest movie posters ever. If like offline, like you want to look it up, but, um, it's like an Art Deco um, rendering of Veronica Lake, and the tagline is uh, "Veronica Lake is on the take." Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is like right before. This is like really one of her first big roles, I guess, because it's it's after this that she was like shows up in noirs. Um, like I think it's like her very next movie is "This Gun for Hire." If I'm if I'm right, um, her first movie with Alan Ladd. Um, yeah, I um I. I there's some audience members that were like a little bit taken aback by like the change in her character that happens in the movie where it's like starts out is like, she's kind of represented as an equal. And then by the end, she doesn't matter quite as much. And she's just kind of like the, um, just a love interest. And she kind of takes a back seat in the movie as it goes on. Um, but yeah, she's portrayed really well, at least in the, in the first like half of the movie, she's, um, she's portrayed really strong. I, this is another one with like, I feel that like she is interested in him and, or she's into him more than he's into her. Like he's more into himself and his movie, um, than he is into her. And I don't know. I mean, by the end of the movie, like, I I think that like that's changed. So I guess that's purposeful in some ways, but, um, I really like this movie a lot. I thought it was good. Uh, it's, It's the second time I've seen, I thought it held up really well yeah i mean i think i could do without some of the slapstick that's in it like i thought the satire like was comedy was like much better than the than the slapstick in it but i guess that's what kind of what you needed in that time yeah, i don't mind i don't mind the slapstick i think that um i just uh, felt it felt incongruous to the rest of the movie to, at times like the pool shit and stuff like that <sighs> right that's part of sturgis's thing though like he loves having like i don't know like a man like overcome I guess it happens. Something similar happens in the Lady Eve too, where um, what's his name is like kind of overpowered by her. Yeah, yeah. And you like and seven I, people fall over, and you like seven people like trip over stuff for that physical comedy. Sure, it goes to the very thesis of this movie, which is that you don't need to be hyper serious in order to have an effect on people. That comedy is actually just as good of a means to be able to affect a group of people than you know a serious drama. You know. Yeah. Um, the funniest thing is when around the time I watched this, um, because I have nothing to do in my life, I had rewatched 30 Rock recently, like all seven seasons. And I'm pretty sure that 30 Rock kind of a little bit like pays like homage or like, you know, um, spoofs this movie. Uh, there's a plot where do you remember the whole thing where like Tracy ends up becoming an Oscar winner and he has to become super serious or he thinks he has to become super serious um, because is whatever the one movie I hard to watch is what the movie is called. Right. Yeah. And he basically is like uh, for like the third time in the show, like there's different times where he becomes more serious and he's always wearing Cosby sweaters. Um, uh, That's the, the sign that Tracy's serious, but um. But he goes to like a like a women's shelter, I think, and like goes to show like his super serious movie, and um, um, realizes that it's like 
making these people watch like the serious movie wasn't having an effect and like he wasn't releasing his like uh comedy because he just had to be taken seriously but he ends up showing the comedy and it's basically like shot for shot like of like different people like in the audience laughing and stuff like that and it's obviously like some sort of um seldomness travels reference um yeah where they do it <clears throat> um same concept like shot the same way but um which is weird um but like yeah there's i've I realized those 30 rock raiders are like actually there's probably tons of like that kind of stuff like buried in that show but uh yeah this is uh this is a really good movie and i'm surprised like i don't think a lot of people know about this movie like at all it's one of his um i, I don't want to say like less less successful but was definitely like not at the time one of the more well received of his films um and maybe hasn't like held up as much I, i'm i'm kind of surprised too like to me it's i it might be my favorite comedy of his maybe yeah i, I really like the lady eve a lot but yeah like i i don't know I, I think it's really effective and i think that i think he shows like a good eye for like even if you don't like the slapstick as much like i think he shows a good eye for capturing like that I don't know what the word you even use for like elastic comedy, mm-hmm. like being able to like capture yeah. movement and and I think he works really well with Lake, like kind of you know just with her like kind of like sex symbol status and um captures her well on film without like diminishing her character, which I think is pretty important. So oh yeah, she's beautiful in this. I mean, he 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 does a good job with shooting her. Um... I actually was really impressed with Joel watching this again, Joel McRae, um, who's more known for Westerns and stuff like that than anything else. And um, I was, I was really surprised watching this again, that he didn't become more of like a, more of a leading man in some ways yeah. and things outside of Westerns. Cause I thought he was really good. I wonder um, what the, what the root cause of that is. Yeah. That would be interesting to know. Um, I did try to like do like a little digging and, um, couldn't really find any like stories or anything or if there was like some sort of like issue there or you know who knows during that time period yeah um you know i mean it could be one of like five five main things um or maybe you just people just didn't think he had it i don't know but maybe know. he made the choices himself it could be, yeah. I mean, my, my mind immediately goes during that time period to, like, you know, communism, homosexuality, like, you know, like, all these other yeah. things that, like, you know, but... Yeah, but he was he was a consistent actor for... Oh, yeah, yeah. So... You know, he, he always got consistently got work, but it was kind of relegated to, um, to Westerns. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, number three on your list, uh, we jumped to 1995, and it is Before Sunrise, the Richard Lankletter movie. Uh, it stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. It has 100% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 93% from audiences. Uh, we talk about the sequel to this movie way back in episode six, the top five sequels of the 2000s, uh, which was September of 2018. But. <clears throat> Um, we have never talked about the, uh, first movie in that series. So, um, Frank, you want to just explain a little bit about this movie and what it is that you like about it so much? So two college age kids traveling from Budapest, uh, to their various destinations. Um, 
Ethan Hawke character is going to catch a flight back to the United States, and uh, um, Julie Delpy, Celine, is going to visit her grandmother in Paris. Um, they meet each other on the train, and they kind of strike up a conversation um, and decide to spend um, an evening walking through uh, Vienna, um, where they gradually learn more about each other and go from just like kind of general topics to like romantic topics and sort of fall in love with each other. Um, they admit that they're attracted to each other, although they don't think they'll be able to see each other again just because of the you know, random nature of their meeting. Um, they make the, whatever, like the best of what they have that evening by like sleeping together. And then they decide that they're going to meet in the same place at the end of the movie in six months. And that's where it leaves you. So with no real concrete idea of like, are they going to see each other again? Is it going to work out? You know, like you as the viewer get the feeling that like you want them to, to be together and see each other. Like you really, I mean, I think like viscerally out of all the movies on this list, like this is the one where I feel the most investment maybe. And, like, them being together. Yeah. Like, at the end, like, being able to, like, have yeah. a relationship. And you kind of have that feeling of, like, it sort of gives you the feeling that you get, like, as a real person in, like, the beginning of a relationship. Like, that kind of yeah. hopeful, mm -hmm. you know, nervous, like, excited feeling. Um, I don't know. It's two, two of the best performances of the 1990s, in my opinion, in these two characters. Um, definitely like some of the best chemistry and I would argue like any romance ever, maybe like, I think that like their chemistry is real and palpable. So I don't know. I saw this movie at a time where, um, I would argue that I wasn't necessarily that much into romance mm -hmm. or at least like, you know, I was kind of a pretentious teenager when this came out and was more into stuff like Reservoir Dogs and The Professional rather than watching this, but saw it in the theater and was like immediately fell in love with it. And it's one of my favorite movies of the nineties. Yeah, I I, I didn't read. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Because like no one like so if you know the backstory of the movie, if you know like the production history, you know that they this was sort of a collaboration between Link Ladder, um, Delpy, and Hawk. Mm -hmm. um, where there was the general premise of the movie but they you know they fleshed it out and a lot of the stuff is comes from them like just sort of like talking to each other it's it's just really impressive that it's so so believable i don't know yeah i mean i think right and i think that believability comes from the fact that it's such a collaborative process it seems between actors and director um I, he's credited with writing this movie i believe with like with like help from them but it's like the sequels it's it's hawk and delphi like are the the writers um um of those movies so i, I think they had a, a big hand in making this feel real and believable um uh not uh, you know not only from like their acting but also the creative process but yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm pretty much on everything you said. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, this is the most like believable um certainly out of this list and probably out of like most um, romances in some ways. And yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. I think it captures that, you know, that feeling of being early on in a relationship. 
um, really well. Like there's that uh, brilliant like uh, silent sequence kind of where they're listening to music, um, and it's all done in like medium shots and close-ups of the two of them like listening to music together and being close and like you know like these kind of like uh, you know looks they're giving each other and the closeness of like you know their physical being and stuff like that and um, brilliant sequence um, yeah, in that movie. Like that. And it's like. I don't know. It's it just there's this feeling you get of like the whole like nocturnal romance thing of like everything happening in one night and all the possibilities right. of that. Right. And, like the fact that they go through like very rapidly over the span of I mean, what would you say it is like twelve hours or something probably, right? Like they go through all the emotions and of like this new love and I don't know. It's just this movie moves me every time that I watch it, and it's something that I've I've probably seen like low key like twelve, thirteen times. Probably watched this movie in my life, mm-hmm. and it feels like it flies by. Like it never feels like it takes any time to get through it, and it's always really affecting and moving. And I don't know. so, out of the three, how do you rank them in the order they were um, released? I think. Before Sunset is maybe the better movie. Um, and maybe I like that one the most, but it's close. Yeah. It's like 1A, 1B. Um, and then I think that Before Midnight is my, like, easily my least favorite mm-hmm. of the three. Um, I feel like, I feel like their characters lose something, and I guess maybe that's the point of Before Midnight. Mm-hmm. But it feels like, uh, it just definitely feels like the weaker, weaker part of the trilogy. And then I think that's also because it's kind of like fulfilling its purpose, which is, you know, the disintegration or possible disintegration of like this long-term relationship that sort of initially should have never happened. And then, you know, yeah. like kind of, because then before sunrise, like it's them or before sunset, you know, their romance rises out of the ashes of, like, both of their, like, kind of doomed or, like, unsuccessful love lives that they're already in. Um, And so it's just interesting, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not really into that, like, the ebb of that flow or whatever. Like, I'm more interested in, like, the building of the relationship. Right. Yeah. You're gonna miss your flight or whatever, the last line of, um, before sunset is, Mm -hmm. it's, like, brilliant to me. And to me, like, that's that's where that's the end of it in my hmm. yeah right um yeah i i mean i i, I get you and i and it makes a, a lot of sense without like uh getting into too much detail um um that makes a lot of sense to me um in a lot of ways that you feel that way i um i'm always more about the yeah I don't know. the potential as opposed to the reality right. um yeah, no, that makes sense. But uh, I, I do think before midnight, in terms of like, it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable watch. But in terms of the arguments and stuff, like the way that they've crafted those arguments and the word choice in them, I think it's a highly, it's uncomfortable, but it's a highly psychological movie. Um, and I think it's brilliant in the sense of how it uses things from even before sunrise and definitely before sunset that are romantic in nature from those two movies and manipulates and twists 
those things in order to hurt each other later. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's brilliantly done, even though it's certainly the least watchable um, out of the three. Um, for many of the reasons you said that, like at least like there's hope in those first two, um, and it feels like there's less hope in that third, and it's really painful to watch. Like these two people you wanted to get together, maybe disintegrate. Um, but I heard that uh, Hawk said recently that he would love to do one um, set during coronavirus. Oh, really? Uh huh. I mean, I know that they've they've said that they want to do like a fourth a fourth one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they said they they would love to be able to do one like almost like every like you know seven to ten years or something like that. Um. It's interesting like, because if they said it during the coronavirus, like that could be pretty brilliant. It probably wouldn't cost all that much, aside yep. from like calories, because you just film it on two iPhones or whatever, and that's the end of it. That would, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it would be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, no, it would be. Um. Okay. Yeah. Any final thoughts on this? No. Like again, I. I would imagine that most people around our age have seen this movie. Um, like if you're someone who's, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Like, I, I think a lot of people have seen this movie and I think that it, like, it's a testament to how great it is that it's got like such an enduring like appeal. Um, and if you haven't seen it, you know, it's, it's really great and really worth watching. And again, like probably like the most viscerally effective movie on this list to me. Right, and when you consider that one of my favorite movies of all time is on this list, like that's saying a lot. So, right, okay. So number two on your list is 2001's "In the Mood for Love," is directed by Wong Kar Wai. It stars Tony Leung, Maggie Jung, and it uh, has a 90% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 94% from audiences. That's um. um interesting that there's a 10% critical base that doesn't like this movie. Yeah, yeah. I would have considered this to be one of the 100 percenters, honestly. Right. No, there's, um, there was like, a, and that's a lot of reviews, so there was, like, I think it was like, set, if I remember correctly, it was us, you know, I didn't write it down, I think it was seven um, negative reviews um, for the movie. Interesting. Yeah. So, do you, um, Want to talk about uh, a little, just a little bit about it and what you like about it so much? Pretty bare bones story. Yeah, it takes place in the '60s, um, Shanghai, like during British occupation. Um, these two families move into uh, an apartment building next door to each other. Um, the husband of the one and the wife of the other are both like away from home a lot, so the I don't know what you call it, like the opposite gender of like each couple is like kind of left to their own devices and alone. Um, they both begin to harbor suspicions that their spouses are being unfaithful to them. Um, and then they both kind of figure out together that their spouses are being unfaithful to them with each other. Does that make sense the way I said that? Yes. Um, so they kind of form this friendship of kind of at first trying to figure out like how did the relationship start? And then you can tell that they're sort of developing feelings for each other, but you know, it remains unrequited um platonic or whatever um because they don't want to sink to the level that their spouses are at you know by being like whatever like 
committing infidelity. Sure. Um, the man is going to, um, like they acknowledge that they have whatever, like love or feelings for each other. And then he's leaving to go to Hong Kong and ask her to go with him. Um, and she doesn't go with him, although she would have wanted to, like he kind of leaves before she's able to get there. Um, and then it catches back up with him like a year later. Um, and ultimately like the end result is that they're not like able to be together. But at the end you can tell that he still like is in love with her. You should have described the movie. This is like your fucking favorite movie of all time. So, um, yeah, it's really high up there for me. Um, so what is like a despair? Right. (laughs) What it was that you like so much about it? Um, I mean, I think, I think Chung and Leung are both fantastic in their roles. Um, Wong Kar Wai is one of the greatest, like, modern romantic directors. I think he's, uh, pretty brilliant at capturing, I don't know what you would say, like, the subtle interaction between a man and a woman, really, Mm -hmm. like, without having to be too verbose about anything, like, he captures the glance and the touch and the the anticipation of things, you know? So, like, you're built to the point where you understand what you're seeing before anyone has to come out and say it. Um, and he's really fantastic at just capturing, like, the beauty of the mundane, maybe, is a good way to say it. Like, he makes things... And we talked about this when we talked about um, Fallen Angels mm-hmm. in uh, our 95 conversation, and this yeah. is the same thing Ep- that right. like... Episode 67, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just in March. This guy's filming something like just a rainy Singapore street, but it looks like majestic and gorgeous, and it feels intimate at the same time. Like, he has this way of filming them together specifically that feels very almost like voyeuristic on your part. Like, you're seeing something kind of how the dialogue and acting and before sunrise makes you feel like emotionally this is like the visual equivalent of that Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes like it's hard to get the same emotional reaction when you're watching something that's subtitled because you miss the nuance of the language you know right yeah like you're reading something where someone could be saying a words that don't even go in the same like order or cadence that what you're reading um which is why like i don't know like, I, I, I love this movie, but I think I don't love this movie as much as I probably would if I spoke Mandarin or whatever language they're speaking in in the movie. Um, just because, like, you lose some of that nuance. But he definitely more than makes up for it in the way that he films the characters yeah. and the way he, like, captures um, them. And I mean, Tony Young is an amazing actor. Like, he does a fantastic job, like being suave but uncertain and you know like i don't know he's it's it's a really great performance and her like um chung is uh great in it as well yeah yeah i mean i definitely think that you could watch this as a silent movie and you could still make sense of it from the way he films it with just a couple of like indicators like of who they are and about their spouses because you don't see their spouses really um and this this is another one too. Well, right, because you, the impression you get in their spouses is basically like the missed message or the missed connection, 
and it really like turns you against their spouses without like mm-hmm. making them antagonists if that makes sense right like they're antagonists in they're they're more like um what's the word i'm looking for um like do sex machina basically yeah. like, as opposed to being like you know like a named like face whatever um and the whole thing of like it's just like a moment in one direction or another that like changes the alters the course because even at the end like they could be together but they're just both like missing each other although i think that the ending is like particularly hopeful in the sense that like he will at some point like find her and be with her although maybe Mm -hmm. that's just me reading into it yeah i don't see if that was um I mean, I think he still loves her and wants to be. Oh, her. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what's so bittersweet about all the, I mean, for, yeah, it, it, it's really bittersweet at the end. I, I think that they both still really are loved or care about each other, but I don't think, I yeah. just don't see it happening. Um, I like to believe that it will. Right. I, like, um, no, go we, ahead. we have a movie on the next podcast, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but mm-hmm. there's a scene at the end of that movie where you, kind of get the impression that maybe like even though they the two characters have found love like elsewhere that maybe they still love each other and to me it's like a similar thing except you don't really ever even get the the satisfaction of seeing the two of them like acknowledge it together so that would be interesting if it's the one i think you're talking about i don't see it that way necessarily but i think they're both in the one that i'm talking about i think they're both happy with the way that their lives have ended up yeah but I think there still is that, like, undercurrent of, like, I don't know, the possibility of what could have been had circumstance not put Yes, I agree. I, I agree with that, yes. A different Cover. path. Sure. Got and you. I think it's the same thing here. But to me, yeah. it's like, you know, him and, like, Anchor Water or whatever at the end means, that, like, he he's still willing to go, like, a distance to be with her. And I think that that implies to me that at some point they may they may be together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe, uh, yeah, I, I I'm less hopeful about the whole thing. Um, I mean, the, uh, watching this again, and like, granted, like I was I was just drinking watching this um, this time, but um, it was really tough to watch. It was a lot tougher than the other two times I've watched this movie, and I don't know if it's because I'm older or not, but um, this is a really dark, dark fucking movie. Because what's happening in this movie is that they are in trying to understand their spouse's adultery. And by trying to understand it, they are basically on the precipice of committing adultery themselves as a way of trying to understand how it could happen so that they can feel somehow better about it. As if they know how it happened or why it happened, then somehow they can get over it. Um, and they basically end up play acting this entire time, the spouse and, um, in order to understand, except for the fact that they actually are falling in love with one another. Right. But so it's like, there's these like multiple roles that are happening and that itself, like the voyeuristic aspect you talk about, he's filming constantly through, um, through windows and doors and stuff all the time, which gives that voyeuristic element. Yeah, but it's like, sorry, what was that? It's like grates and bookcases. Like, yeah, a lot of the story is for other people. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of the story is filmed with something intersecting between your eye and the subject of the scene. 
Right. So he's playing visually with that whole idea of, um, you know, I guess it's like that Tropic Thunder line comes to mind. It's like, I'm a dude playing a dude, whatever. Like, um, but it's like, it's, it's their, their real people falling in love with their play acting, their spouses who fell in love. And I think that is somehow done visually where it's like you're watching the movie on a frame, but there's frames within the frames because he's filming so often through doorways and windows right. and grates and all these other things. Um, so it's like, you don't even know. And, and then he plays with it so many times too, where it's like he shoots from behind and thinks that it's like one of the characters will be talking. You think they're actually talking to their spouse, but they're not. It's part of the play acting that's going on. Right. And so he purposely fucks with your, um, you know, your understanding of the movie and like his tricks you at different points. And it's a really sick, twisted fucking movie. Like when you start thinking about what's happening with these people, like psychologically. That's um, interesting because I don't, I wonder that I look at it like that necessarily. These are, these are devastated people, Frank. These are broken fucking people. That but the are, end result is that I, I think at the end they understand that it's not on them that it happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it works out in the long term. I'm saying the game that they take to get there is fucked up. Well, isn't that a devastating thing to find out that like? Oh, I'm sure. Know, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not judging. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying as a movie to make and watch, it's kind of fucked up when you realize yeah. what's happening. Um, they are I mean, living. He's all, he, he's all about the idea of like. I don't know, like the unrequited love or the pining lover, like the unequal affection, you know, like mm-hmm. he, he loves that shit. Like a lot of his movies have that stuff in it. So, but, but, but I, I, what it is, is they're, they're living in a fantasy. Right. In, in order to ignore the reality, that the fact that like they themselves are becoming their spouses, which, which is the thing that they're trying to psychologically overcome. <laughs> Right. Um, so it's like, and then when they acknowledge their feelings, the fantasy breaks, and then it's like basically everything breaks down once they actually acknowledge their feelings for one another. Um, now but that's all that catharsis, right? It is. It is. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, like um, that's their therapy. Like that's their. It is. Except so, for the fact know. that they've actually fallen in love with each other, and by acknowledging the feelings, because the fantasy where they were using to fall in love with one another and make it seem okay for themselves, now that fantasy is gone, and now they have nothing left to deal with but the fact that they are the people that they were kind of have grown to dislike for what they've done, and it makes them end up not getting together. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still like hopeful at the end of that movie <laughs> that they're going to be event together eventually. So I don't know how you can keep any hope there, but um, that's cool. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm glad you, guy, I, yeah, I'm glad that you can keep that. Um, but this movie is fucking amazing to watch. Like it is, it's a beautiful film. Like there are so many times I'm watching it and I'm just like, oh my god! Like whether it's like the camera work or the performance or a line of dialogue is just like, oh my god! Like it is, it's a it's it's a beautiful dark like devastating but like and then the romance element of it is like it's extremely the the closeness between those two characters and like just like the hint that like something is 
burgeoning between these two right. is so well done. Like, right. like it's just again, it it plays to my point that like you have to believe that yeah, those two people could love each other, and I think you do believe yeah, you know that they do, and yep. that makes it all the more heartbreaking when they're not together. But again, like I think that yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm like willfully optimistic or whatever. I don't know. But, yeah, and then the music also in this, which is I. The you know this is one of those episodes where it's like I I started it without the the normal theme music um and that's the reprise from this movie um, gotcha. here so uh the Hollywood Report card um gentleman named Ross Anthony says the film has little to offer as it progresses he says talking about that music I just mentioned the slow mo violin exercise becomes a repeated motif unfortunately the third or fourth reprise of this initially um, luscious effect becomes comical and the following reprises torturous and the la- and the last nauseous the actors are suave and captivating captivating but their tedious game of subtle approach and retreat provides very little entertainment for the film goer this is the bulk of the movie until it wraps up with the several folds in time and location but no real climax or definition Juicy details like the changes in ties and lipstick on a cigarette grace the screen. But like stars in the night sky, they are not enough to light it up. Additionally, their positive effects are countered by some other camera experimentation, such as the strobe and a few brief segments of quick cuts, which add nothing and in fact blemish an otherwise visually smooth presentation. So a couple of things I do want to ask you about is his, um, the, the last point first, uh, his experimentation that he has in movies. We talked a little bit about this um, right. a couple months ago, but how do you feel about how that's handled in this movie? It's just him. You know what I mean? It's like every director has something that's like their signature or their like predilection or whatever. And that's just, it's, it's his thing. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It never bothers me with him just because I just think he loves making movies so much that he wants to he just likes to try things i think i think that he gets excited about like an idea of like how to film something and he sees like a visual metaphor behind like the way that he can film something he just does it right so i i always appreciate that I'm, it never bothers me what about the idea that the subtle approach that you have to like uh pay attention to details as he says like um the change in ties or like lipstick on cigarettes um how do you feel about that being used as a criticism i don't understand how it's a i don't i mean i understand that he's criticizing but i don't understand the criticism i guess is that like i think that that's i like like why would you It's not it, it's not necessary to focus on those things to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think you can enjoy the movie while focusing on those things. Does that make sense? Right. Like, why the fuck does it matter? Like, why complain about that? You know? Yeah. It's a dumb complaint, in my opinion. I mean, that, that what, what you just read me almost made me, like, go to sleep because it was awful. Um, so, I don't know. I... I think that's somebody like nitpicking the nitpick, like giving a bad review for a movie that they know that is going to review really well just to, I don't know. 
I yeah, find I, it disingenuous, like yeah. that review. So I had to go back and watch the 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 slow mo and violin pieces, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the those are the times they're actually not trapped in frames. I don't know if you I don't know if you remember that or not, but usually it's when they're like in the alleyway a lot of times, like or that like space leading up to the apartment building, and um, it seems like it's like the one time they're not confined. If I'm remembering correctly, when those happen, let me know. Yeah, again, Um, like he every single one of his movies has some segment that's similar to that. Yeah. Like yeah. and we talked about it in um Fallen Angels, you know, or like you look at like Days of Being Wild or I don't know Happy Together. Like all of them have like segments where he he's a very controlled, detailed director, and he can film in a way that's like incredibly focused and traditional, and then like just every once in a while he has these things that are experimental and I don't know, like it just, right. it doesn't bother me. So. Okay. So number one on your list is 1961's breathless directed by Jean-Luc Godard stars Jean-Paul Bellamundo and Gene Seberg has a 97% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 90% from audiences. You want to tell people a little bit about the movie and what it is that you love about it so much. What percentage is it? On Rotten Tomatoes for critics? 97. That bothers me. <laughs> um, I could not find the actual person who, um, or actually it's, it's, it's a few people, but um, uh, but I, none of them were available to, I, I tried to Google them even though they weren't on Rotten Tomatoes and I couldn't find the actual critics. Right, they've probably been exiled in shame. <laughs> um... There's not much to say about the plot, really, because there's not a huge amount of plot. Um, It's basically the story of uh, two people, um, one played by Jean-Paul Belmondo, who's like a rakish, 'er ne'er-do-well criminal, um, who's kind of on the lam in Paris because he caused the death of a, what, like a a beat cop, basically, like a Mm -hmm. um, traffic officer. Um, and Gene Seberg, um, who's playing um, Patricia, who's a American expat, who's like kind of living in Paris, um, sort of just to experience life. And um, she's in love with him, and he's kind of using her, but he also might be in love with her a little bit, even though you get the impression that he's in love with a lot of different people. Um, and that's also like reflected in... Um, she goes to interview um, a famous director. Like she works for, fuck, what does she work? New York, New York Herald Tribune. Mm-hmm. New York Herald Tribune. Mm-hmm. Um, and they send her to interview a director who's played by. Fuck, what director is that? Anyway, and he kind of like says the same thing that like you fall in love with multiple people and. Mm-hmm you're not ever necessarily in love with like one person. And maybe like today you're in love with this guy. Um, John Pierre Melville. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's scenes where it seems like they're in love with each other and scenes where it seems like they're both kind of falling out of love with each other. Um, And ultimately, you know, his 
sort of crimes catch up with him and she inadvertently sort of dimes him out and then he dies at the end and that's it. Yeah. He's out of breath. So Right. But two of my favorite performances like ever. Like I love both of them so much in this movie. Um I think that he is like the perfect smarmy caricature of someone who misunderstands like what Humphrey Bogart is in like his classic films. Mm-hmm. Like who only sees the the fedora and the bedroom eyes and doesn't understand like the depth of character basically. Does that make sense? Who just uses like the superficial aspects of his personality. Sure, right. And doesn't understand that he actually has character. Right. To like woo someone, yeah. but also is still capable of being in love and I think does like fall in love with the idea that she's in love with him mm-hmm. more or less. Like and he's really just trying to sleep with her, but I think during that time like he does like gain genuine affection for her because she is like kind of reticent at first and sort of pushes off his advances and then yields and then pulls back and yields out. Oh, man, that that scene where they're in her apartment, um, like in various stages of undress and like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like kind of like the the verbal interplay and the way that they like look at each other and just it's it's amazing like i him especially like it's it's in my opinion one of the greatest like star making performances ever and i know that jean paul belmundo isn't like a household name in america but man like that dude in that in that movie in this movie is just like brilliant the thing he does like with his thumb on his lips like rubbing his lips when he's mm-hmm kind of considering like his trying to his his seductive approach or whatever like it's always when he's gonna try and i don't know like bullshit somebody into believing like what he's saying or trying like seduce someone and i don't know just um just fantastic and the direction too like i i like like godard tried to film the movie more in like a documentary style so even though it's very you can see like the control that he has. You can also see his willingness to like experiment, like in the middle of filming and film in the middle of a busy city street, like with other like actual pedestrians walking by or, you know, just film in like a crowded, like cafe area. It's just, um, it looks beautiful. I, I love both of them as the principals. I like the fact that it's unclear at the end, whether either of them ever loved each other at all, or it was just like fleeting. Um, but there's still are times where like you can feel like that palpable attraction between them. So, yeah, the, 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 the last scene of that, like the, the very final scene is, uh, reading about the translation of all that. Um, it's really interesting. I don't know if you, how much you've read about all that, like in terms of like the different, the different ways things can be translated there and, um, all that kind of stuff. But it's, um, what's actually being said is, um, what 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 is shown to you on the screen in the captioning um and what could actually be being said at different points depending on how you interpret the the translations um is really fascinating um yeah and and, 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 and it doesn't and it doesn't answer anything like it's it's like it still leaves it even more open like for what's actually happening right yeah and again like that's my point about the whole like language barrier aspect of it you know, although I guess, like, other people have argued about what, what does that word mean, like, you know, 
is she is he like directly insulting her or like whatever calling her scumbag i guess is what the original translation was and the criterion is like i guess this version probably the one that you watched if you watched the criterion channels did you make me want to puke or whatever right yep um mm-hmm. and which one of those things is true and is there really like a difference between those two or yeah. you know the subtle difference between like and it's and it's unclear apparently according to like the translation on whether it's her that makes him want to puke or whether it's the world, right? That makes him want you know puke. as as he's dying, yes, like in the street right. or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. Like reading about all that, like like pretty much each line like has like a different way she can take it. Um, but that's my bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I um. I like this movie. I honestly, it's, it's this is this movie escaped me for a long time. Um, I've never seen it before, even though I knew it was like a classic. Um, I'm not sure how much I like the French New Wave stuff, but um, this is a good movie. Um, yeah, I'm surprised I've never forced you to watch this before. I think you tried to probably before. I don't know. It's there's weird. just some kind of reticence I have about from what little French New Wave I saw years ago. Like I'm just reluctant. Um, well, yeah, because one of the things with French New Wave, and I, honestly, like a lot of it's lost on me, is it's very what's the word I'm looking for? It's very referential to the politics and culture of the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like, like the fact that he goes by um, Victor Laszlo is one of his, uh, or is his like nom de guerre or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Victor Laszlo was a reference to, I think, I think John Pierre Melville, like one of his characters in one of his movies or something. Okay. Um, and it's just like a small thing. Like, how would you ever even know that unless you had seen it? But at the time, like, it would have been like, whatever. Like, an yeah, no, that's what I thought. Yeah, Victor Laszlo is the uh, the other guy in um, Casablanca. And then, I don't know, like, small things like, you know, they, they're they selling, like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm going to fuck up this pronunciation. Cahiers du Cinema or whatever, and that was a magazine that Godard wrote for. It's just, like, small things mm-hmm. like that. Right. Um, but it's, um, Laszlo Kovacs is a Belmondo character, I think. Mm, okay. Like, another character that he played. So gotcha. he's basically, like... Right. It's like a fourth wall break. You know, I'm referring to myself as a character I played in another movie in this movie where I'm like another character anyway. So Yeah, what's the what's the what's the movie with what's her face that you love so much that the Godard movie that's the follow up to this? Uh I know it could be a bunch. We just talked about it like with the, well, we talk about a woman is a woman. Was that it? Woman is a woman. Yeah, there, there's a reference specifically to Breathless, and um, where their Breathless is on television, right? Well, because he's always about that. Like he's always right, right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's like a wink and a nod to the fact that you're watching a movie. I mean, mm-hmm. he'll always have like characters turn to the camera and speak to the camera, and sure. Um, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Though, like I, I love Godard, and I love the way that he films people, and the fact that it feels like 
it's almost so hyper realistic that it becomes like it, it feels like fake. Does that make sense? Like it feels staged sometimes because he mm-hmm. films in such like a like a cinema verite style at times. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I one of the things I texted you when I watched it was I was trying to get you to explain to me. And I've had some further thoughts since she texted me, but it's like one of the things I didn't get was like watching it and like hearing about how revolutionary this movie was and how Godard is like, and finally watching it, it's like I was watching it and I felt like I had seen a lot of this stuff in the forties at different points. It wasn't common, but I didn't, it feels like I had seen it in noir before at different points or there were things like it, um, depending on the movie. Yeah. And maybe what it is is that while it's had been done, it hadn't all just been pulled together like he pulled it together. I don't know. I mean, that's the thought I've had further since then is that maybe it just wasn't all done at once, kind of. Right. I mean, I was trying to think of that when you and I were, like when you texted me that. Um, Because he's definitely like, he has the capability of being like a traditional director. Right. I mean, it's not like he's, I don't know what you how to say it. Like, it's not like he's just, it's not like he's Kevin Smith. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that yeah. Kevin Smith could ever be like, like a classic director or like escape the fact that you can see like the rough edges in like all of his movies. Like Godard definitely can film. Yeah, it's, it's well, right. It's like the painter who goes off and does this like weird, like you know, um, you know, abstract type shit. But it's like they can like you know recreate the Mona Lisa. You know, I mean, without a problem. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like yeah, it's obvious. Like I'm sure he could just do what everybody was doing. Um, I mean, because that's but that's that's part of the thing is that it's like the new wave specifically is it's almost like a wink and nod mentality that like we're not like we understand the conventions of film at the time but we're about experimenting with what it means or how it's presented um to like whatever like showcase more like existential themes or more like socio-political themes or whatever um but still having to like present something i mean it's not like kenneth anger or whatever you know, or uh, fuck, like Andy Warhol shit, you know, like filming like super experimental, you know, right. it's 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 still a movie, like yeah. it's still watchable and like understandable. So. Right. Okay, so now that um the list is over, any other like final thoughts in terms of like the, the, the idea of romance in these? Um... I don't know. It's interesting talking about it. Like, I guess I really like romance movies a lot, or maybe I don't have a good understanding of what romance is in movies. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Although I can appreciate like a traditional romance just fine. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, what about Sleepless in Seattle? How's that? Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of that movie. Yeah. Have we talked about I find that, that movie. Yeah, I find that movie really boring. Okay. Yeah, it feels like we talked about that. I don't know. I just don't care about it, I guess. It's not like a bad movie or anything. It's just, I know that it's an iconic film of like our childhoods yeah. and like our generation, but it's not, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Sleepless in Seattle. You always come back to Sleepless in Seattle. That's I always. I, I, what about you? Got mail. I almost said who got mail. <laughs> who got mail? <laughs> <You're right. laughs> That's the sequel to He Got Game. <laughs> who got mail? Um, uh, stars Mitt Romney. <clears throat> yeah, it's <laughs> weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's that. There's that middling like 90s rom- rom-com shit that I just, I don't care about. I think that's why I don't care about Titanic because it all feels forced. Like, I don't feel like there's... What about something like look, the Brothers... I, okay, litmus test here, like, to some degree on that statement. What about something like the Brothers McMullen? I don't care about that movie. What about the Paul Bearer? It's a loaded question there, buddy. <laughs> I I really enjoyed the Paul Bearer and I saw it, like, three times in the theater, but it was mm-hmm. more circumstance and, like, enjoying the people I was with rather than like liking the ball bearer. Mm-hmm. I honestly can't even remember the plot. Isn't it swimmer like falls in love with an older woman? No. Dude, can't I don't remember the ball bearer. I, I, haven't, I haven't watched that movie since 1997 or whatever. So I no idea. Everybody loved friends and I called out of work to go see. It. I don't know. I, I, I'm just trying to get an idea like, you know, that independent rom-com that was like of the time period where it was, a little bit more subversive, but not really. Um, it was supposed to be different or unique, and uh, I was just wondering how you felt about those kind of things in the nineties. Should have said, um, should have said, she's the one, because I think that's like okay. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah. The romance. I'm, the, the movie's fine. It's got a good soundtrack. Well, that's what's his name too, right? She's the one. It is. That's, yeah. 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 The brothers McMullen guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or like beautiful girls. Like you love beautiful girls. Talk about that. Yeah, that's another indie rom com. It kinda, kinda rom drom com. Yeah, there's a lot more going on there than just the that that rom com element, though. Right. It's weird and inappropriate. <laughs> there's a lot more going on there. Um, <clears throat> I do like that movie. I don't even know if it would hold up, but you, you know what? You know what a good example is. Here's a good example. Of one that actually works is singles. Singles mm. is a really good romance. I, I should have put that on the list, honestly. That that's a really good romance that's like issues the like the mid nineties like formula of romance. Mm. And like is is still effective. Like by having like it be about multiple people and you following like different you know, sort of almost like I hate to say this, but almost like Robert Altman, like like coming in and out of like different scenarios and timelines, mm-hmm. not timelines, but like storylines to like get like a good picture of like these romances. Like that works. Yeah. See, Same that's, a, I was, I was going to use Altman and then I felt, thought better of it when I, when you've mentioned beautiful girls, because I see elements of that in there too. Yeah, you're right. Not a big, yeah. yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Okay. I can't define romance, but I know it when I see it, I guess. Okay, like pornography. That and pornography. Right. Okay. Um, no, it's an interesting list. I I I, I enjoyed watching uh, all these movies to one degree or another. Yeah. Um, Just like the list for next week, right? Because I know you really enjoyed watching all of them. <laughs> so next week's uh, podcast is the top five musicals of the 1960s. Yeah. Uh, the week after that, we have... Uh, our second ever fresh five episode 
Um, we did this last May in May of 2019, but this, the concept there is, uh, movies that Frank has watched in the past couple of months. He just picks his top five, um, out of all those movies. Cause Frank's constantly watching new movies. Um, so he gives us his top five movies out of that. Um, I, I saw, I got a sneak peek of that list today and, um, I'm starting on it and it's a, it's an interesting list. Um, very fresh and topical. Um, and then we're going to finish off June with the top five tropical movies. Hmm. I haven't even made that list yet. No, no, we got a while to go. You can still, you still got a bit. Um, and then in July, um, as we continue what I call COVID casts anymore, hmm. um, we have the top five worst blockbusters, um, the top five best, best blockbusters, and then the top five um, Americana films. Um, so July is, um, July is pretty stacked, honestly. Yeah. That's that's gonna be a good list, the Americanas. Yeah, yeah. I still have that saved from um last summer. I think it was last summer. Did I give you the list already? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I'd like yeah. to see it because I don't remember what I, I gave you a challenge um to uh to come up with a list. Um and uh I think it was like last August and and you like texted me back within like three minutes with the list, so I'll send it to you again. Yeah, I'd like to know what um, it is. It's still right. It's still saved in my notes, but yeah. and then you can change it if you need to. Um, no, I'll stand by. I'll, I'll stand by my gut reactions from almost a year ago. So. Okay. But yeah, the top five musical episode is uh, uh has drained my <laughs> my soul. Yes, you are correct. Um, it is. I mean, I, I look invigorating, man. I'm sitting there singing along. It's good times. <laughs> Except to the one, I can't sing along to the one. But every right, other one. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's just it's a, a lot of it's the length. A lot of it's the length of the movies. They're long, long movies. Why do you think um, musicals are as long as they are? Isn't that weird? Well, we'll talk about it next week because I have a theory about that. I've already kind of hinted out towards with you. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about it. But yeah, I um that that's one reason. Um. But yeah, I mean, a lot of times they're based off of stage works, and I think stage right. works tend to go to. So, I think there's a few different reasons for it. But, um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. There's a, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about with all those, um, all those movies that you have on that list. So, um, despite my um, how how it's just been killing me watching these three hour <laughs> movies. So. Um. Oh my. Okay, so yeah, we I think we have some good episodes coming up uh, throughout the course of the next couple of months. Um, yep. But um, any final thoughts on anything at all? No, it was, um, it was good. Movies list. in general. Um, anything? Anything you want to talk about and just get out because you'll never talk about it ever again. I'm a little disappointed that more studios aren't taking the universal approach of just releasing their movies direct to video. Um. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it's getting a little stagnant, like what's coming out um, after the initial like coronavirus glut of like the direct to video stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess the the exhibitors got really pissed off about trolls making like fifty million dollars this opening opening weekend on demand because it sort of undercuts the importance of going to the theater anymore if you can make right. that much money mm-hmm. from a financial standpoint, not from like a literal standpoint. Because obviously, sure. always always better to see a movie on the big screen, right? Um, but my selfish ass just wants to see like every movie. Like I want all the movies to come out 
like now so I can just rent them and watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, although I haven't done that because it's too expensive. Like I don't want to spend twenty dollars to rent t- a movie. Right. We talked about this on maybe a quick cage or something. I can't remember, but it was like that price point's got to come down. Yeah. Like, it, that can't be the price point. I can understand maybe a family movie. Mm. like something like trolls because you're probably like having multiple people including children watch it sure so like the cost per view is significantly less than if you went to the theater but i don't want to spend 20 dollars watch invisible man like as much as i want to see that movie like that shit's got to be under 10 well you're not even willing to spend 14.99 on it right right i know because it feels like too much it is it is too much it's it's taking you back to the the ridiculous days of you know spending 20 dollars on a dvd that just came out Right, it's the same. It's the same thing, and I don't even have anything to show for it. Like at least with the DVD, right. I had a collection where I can say, like, "Hey, you know, these are movies that I have, and I can watch whenever I want." Sure. Yeah. And Although with, I do think that the Invisible Man price now is a buy price, not a rent price. So it is, but I mean, even then, it's like you said, there's 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 nothing physical or tangible about it, and while a lot of these things like you have for life, I mean, there's instances where people have bought stuff and rights have gotten screwed up and they don't have access to those things. That oh, they sure. anymore. Right. So I could lose my account and like not be able to ever access. It sure. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. That's actually one of the movies that probably would have gone on the fresh five. So I think that movie looks fantastic, but I'm not going to see it before. And that list is already set. So Right. That's it. Really. Okay. He's yeah. been a uh, been watching a lot of movies. Yeah, a lot of stuff that'll probably never get talked about. Yeah, I just watch horror movies, and most of them are bad. So yeah, yeah. I'll try to give you a list. Yeah, you tried to you last night. To... Oh, Powell and Pressburger movies. I so. got um, I got I got, I got a little too drunk last night to be able to keep track of all that. Oh right, I got yeah. stuff on Voodoo on my watch list. Right, okay, I gotta watch some of those things. Um, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you, uh, uh, have any feedback, um, if you have any lists of your own that you want to hear maybe later in the year, um, feel free to email us at two guys, five movies at gmail.com, or you can reach us through Facebook or Instagram. Other than that, uh, everybody have a great week and thanks for listening. Yep. Thanks a lot. Have a good night.